Hello, I'm Pastor Ron, and I welcome you to my house. In fact, the painting behind me, lest you spend your time trying to figure out what it is, is a picture of a city high in a valley, 10,000 feet up in the top of the Andes Mountains of South America. The city is called Quito, Ecuador. It's where my wife and I lived for 35 years. It's a northern kingdom of the Inca Empire. Did you know there's a legend among the Incas that when they were being defeated by an enemy, the sun god who they worshipped sent his son to earth to rescue them? We're talking about the same kind of story, only our story has much more of an impact worldwide and it's for all of eternity. It's from the book of Matthew. You may want to get your Bible so that you can follow along. We're in chapter 27. We're talking about it all comes down to this. I'm not talking about hand sanitizers. I'm not talking about not rubbing our eyes or picking our nose or touching our mouth. I'm not talking, although I might do that while I'm talking to you, but you need to know my hands are clean. I'm not talking about whether you're receiving this on YouTube or Facebook or your web or your computer or your telephone. I'm not talking about it coming down to that. I'm talking about it coming down to this final week in the life of Jesus Christ. We've been in his journey looking at his life for a, quite a few weeks. And now we're in the last week. In fact, we're in the last day. Now, there's two sides to this day. One is the fact that it all comes down to the truth that God loves us. For God so loved the world. He loves being with his creation. He loved walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He put his tabernacle right in the middle of the camp of Israelites in the wilderness. He put his temple right in the city of Jerusalem. He loves being with his creation. But his creation doesn't seem to love being with him. His creation sinned against him, disobeyed him, began to worship other things, began to create other gods, became very selfish, only used God as kind of a, an escape, something when they were in trouble. And and finally, he sent Jesus, and that's what the book of Matthew is about. The journey Jesus had here on earth. And his journey had one purpose, and that was to redeem his creation so that he could spend eternity with them. Did you know that you are the very best part of God's day? He loves you, and he wants to spend time with you. The ugly side of that Friday is what we're going to look at today. What Jesus had to go through just to redeem us. Pastor Derek was right. He said, if Friday's the only day that we have, it appears God's plan didn't work. But Pastor, Pastor Ty last week said, we are God's very treasure. That's what Friday is all about. So I've entitled this message, What's So Good About Good Friday? 
<laughs> and today I want to capture your imagination. You've all seen pictures of Friday. The greatest story ever told. Uh, the Last Temptation of Christ. The Passion. You've read stories. You've heard sermons. Your imagination has captured the picture. But we're going to walk through it from the viewpoint from Matthew. And we're going to divide it into four time periods. So it starts in Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. Here's what it says. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. As they went out. What an interesting phrase. Where had they been? What had they been doing? This is stage one, early morning. Last week you heard Pastor Ty talk about early morning. You heard him talk about the fact that he had been with Pilate and the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and people had lied about him and people had mocked him and people were, were yelling and screaming. And So we have to back up to verse 26 and look at, at what happened before they went out, okay? It's not pretty. In fact, it's the ugly side of the day. Then Pilate released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, flogged Jesus, some translations say. It's a Roman type of punishment. They take a whip and they tie bones and rocks in the end of the strips, and it tears the flesh off of your back. It's terrible, terrible. They did that to Jesus. Why? I don't know. They were going to crucify him. Maybe Pilate thought it would please the chief priests and the scribes and Pharisees, and they'd be satisfied with that. Maybe they thought he thought they would have compassion for Jesus and back off. Then he delivered him to be crucified. How did he deliver him? Verse 27. The soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, the praetorium. And they gathered the whole battalion before him, a whole company of soldiers, at least 12 Roman soldiers who didn't have a high level of appreciation for Jews, and one bleeding Jew who had been up all night. Kind of an uneven room, uneven odds. Listen to what they did to him. And again, it's not pretty. I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. They stripped him. Verse 28, verse 29, they twisted together a crown of thorns and jammed it on his head. Verse 30, they spit on him. They took a reed and struck him on the head. Verse 31, they mocked him. This went on for some time. Then verse 32, they went out. They came out into the Via Della Rosa. They, um, some of you have been on the Via Della Rosa when you were in Jerusalem. It's a sloping pathway down. It's a cobblestone. It's about 15 to 20 feet wide. I suppose you could, you could drive a vehicle in there. Um, buildings on both sides. People jammed in there. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus is bleeding from head, from back, maybe even still has some spit on his face. He's got a 300-pound Roman cross, solid Roman cross on his back. 
He's been up all night. And he falls. I have a question for you. And maybe you want to just stop here and ask this question and then come back to this message. The question is really simple. Why would he do this? Why would Jesus, the creator of mankind, the creator of all things, do this? In chapter 26, he says, if I wanted to, I could call a legion of angels. The song says he could have called 10,000 angels. Wouldn't that have been something? If he had called angels and they had swooped down and filled the whole area with angels and backed everybody off and lifted up the king of kings, wouldn't that have been something? But he didn't do it. Why? 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 Because he loved us. He'd rather die than be separated from us for all of eternity. There was a ransom to pay for our sins. And he was the only one who could pay that ransom. And he was willing to do it. Amazing, ugly story, but beautiful story. And there was Simon standing there when Jesus fell. He was from an outside the city. Whether he was there intentionally or accidentally, I don't know. I wonder if Simon, here's another question, had ever heard Jesus say, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to pick up your cross and carry it every day. Follow me. So did Simon jump out there to grab that cross or did he even understand what he was doing? You and I, do we pick up the cross every day and follow him? Now we bring, that brings us to verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, here it is. This is the point of crucifixion. He goes to Golgotha. He gets nailed to a cross. The cross gets dropped in the ground. The crucifixion. Stage number two. Mark says it's nine o'clock in the morning. So let's start the clock. We know that the crucifixion runs about six hours before he dies. Let's see what they do during this time. They put him on a cross. That's the Roman way of punishment. But down through history, that has become a symbol that we who are Christians carry. We have it in our church. We Many of us wear it for jewelry. At, at first, they used the sign of the fish. They drew a fish. One person would draw the upper half. Another person would draw the lower half. When they connected the lines, they knew that both people were Christians. Sometimes they just drew it with their foot in the dust to see if the other person understood what they were saying. Once they did, they identified themselves as Christians, but it was a symbol to identify Christians, you and me. What symbol could they use to identify Christ? Well, they could use a manger, I suppose. They could use a, a staff, a shepherd's staff. But the early church chose the cross. At first, they just put the symbol on the forehead to identify people. And then they put the symbol there to protect people. Constantine put it on his shields and cried out, 
conqueror in this symbol or conquer under this shield. It became power for him. What is it for you? Eventually it became jewelry and we all wear it. I, my wife and I wear this, this ring. It's two fish on each side of a cross. It's a picture of two Christians with Jesus as the center of their marriage. It's the way, it's the way we are. And it's the way we stand and the way we live our lives. Two Christians with Jesus. What about your jewelry? What do you wear it for? Do you wear it on purpose or is it just kind of decorative? Do you wear it to identify with Christ? Do you wear it to, to seal his perfection or his protection or his power in your life? Well, let's, let's walk on down. Not only did they nail him to the cross, but then they divided his garments, verse 33 or 35, among them by casting lots. Remember, his undergarment, John says, was one piece, and they didn't want to cut it up, so they divided it up. And then they sat down and watched over him there. <laughs> they just sat and watched him die, suffer in agony and pain. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. They put a sign up. The sign read in Aramaic and Latin and Greek, that he was the king of the Jews. Then uh, verse 39, the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. So people walking up and down. I don't know whether it was some tourist thing to see, whether people were just out for a walk, but they walked by his cross and they wagged his head and laughed at him and mocked at him. They were so used to this. And they said, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. And they just stood there and laughed at him. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders, they were standing there mocking him and saying, verse 30, 42, and look at these words. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. It went on and on and on, the mocking and the laughing and the making fun of him. The amazing thing is what they said about him. Did you see that? Verse 42, he saved others. That's true. Verse 42, he is the king. That's, that's true. Verse 43. He trusts in God. That's, that's true. They knew all this stuff about him, but they didn't know him. Maybe that's where you are. Do you know all about him, but you don't know him? You know this story. You wish I'd get off with it, but you don't know him and why he did this for us. Here's a question. What would people say about you? Would one of the things people would say about you is they trust in God? They trust in him. During this time, between 9 and 12, the second stage, we know that Jesus said three things. Luke says that he looked down at these people mocking him, the people passing by, the scribes, the Pharisees, chief priests. And then he said, Father, 
forgive them for they don't know what they do. And Luke also tells us that he turns to the robber on the side who finally wakes up and says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We deserve what we're getting, but this guy doesn't. And then asked to be remembered by Jesus. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He says that from the cross, hanging from the cross, nails in his hands, feet, blood. He says that to him, forgiving him. And then he looks down at his mother. We read in verse 55, his mother was there along with some other women. He looks down at his mother. John is standing there with his mother. And Jesus says, woman, behold your son, indicating John. And then he says to John, son, behold your mother. He's taking care of the pastor buyers. He's taking care of the other guys on the cross. He's taking care of his loved ones down below. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That is stage three. Noon to three o'clock. We don't know a lot about that. People were probably going around trying to figure out what was going on. We don't know a lot about what happened there, except that sometime in there, Jesus said, I thirst. Other than that, it is just three hours of pain and agony on the cross. Why? Remember? Because he loves us and he doesn't want to be separated from us. Verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I want you to see this stage. The earth has been covered with darkness because the sun has stopped shining for three hours. And then suddenly this voice comes out of the darkness from the cross and pleads with his father. There are many people that wonder about this. Some people say it was an attempt of Jesus to identify with David because David said exactly the same thing in Psalm chapter 22. In fact, some think that Jesus said more than just these words that are recorded. To identify with the fact that he was related to the king of David, to remind these people that he was the one who David was talking about when David said those very same words. Some people think that it was his heavenly side when the load of sin hit him. He died for our sins. He took our sins upon himself and paid the penalty for our sins. And perhaps when that happened and his Holy Father, who is perfect and pure, holiness itself, could not look upon him for that moment he felt abandoned. Some people think it's his human side. He had been betrayed. He had been up all night. He had been beaten. He had been mocked. His disciples seemed to have abandoned him. He was in pain. Maybe it was his human side. Some people think he was actually calling for Elijah. And maybe Elijah was going to come. In fact, they say, wait, 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 don't do anything. And let's see if Elijah comes. 
which is ridiculous. I wonder if Elijah had come. You think they were hoping Elijah would come or were they afraid Elijah would come? Wonder if Elijah had come. But this was about three in the afternoon and we've entered into the final stage. It's three o'clock. And then the Bible says in verse 50 that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and then yielded up his spirit. Now, Matthew doesn't say what he says when he cried out again. Um, Luke suggests that he heard Jesus say, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. In other words, releasing his spirit, he, he verbalized it. John says that Jesus said, it is finished. And that's when he released his spirit to God. We do know, according to Matthew, that the curtain in the temple ripped apart, that there was an earthquake, shook all the ground, and that people actually came out of tombs in the area. But my final question for you is, what did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? What does it is finished mean for you? Well, for me, it means that Satan has lost his power over me. He can't dominate my life anymore. It means that my sins are forgiven. The price has been paid. I have been set free. It means that God now spend his, can now send his spirit to live within me so that he's with me always, never to leave me nor forsake me. Even in this lockdown period, God is with me. It means that the question is over and finished and done with. I can spend eternity with the one who loved me so much he gave his life for me. So back to our original question. What's so good about Good Friday? There's a cartoonist that uh, is named Johnny Hart. He draws a cartoon called BC Comics. Two characters. Here's Thor and here's Peter standing on the hill. And Thor says, I really hate the term Good Friday. And Peter says, why? And Thor says, because that's the day they hung my Jesus on the cross. Thor thinks for a few minutes and then says, well, if you were supposed to be hung on the cross, and Jesus volunteered to take your place, what would that be? And Thor says, well, that, that would be good. Peter says, have a nice day. It's not Good Friday yet. Good Friday's coming. But between now and Good Friday, wanted to do a whole lot of thinking about how much God loves you how much he wants you to be with him for all of eternity. If you haven't made the decision to do that, today's the day to do that. Or if you have loved ones who haven't made that decision, maybe you want to send them an email or call them during this time and tell them about your confidence, your trust, and see if they want to make that decision. Father, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. I don't deserve it. 
It's nothing I did. You have set me free and given me life eternal. You've given me abundant life. You've given me access to the throne. You've given me everything that I am and have. And I thank you for that. And I pray for my friends that they would also trust you with everything they have. May today be the beginning of a great journey with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to stay tuned for a little bit because we have something for the kids. Something that will encourage them and bless them. Contact the church if you have any needs at all. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you out if you have a problem. We're here because we're doing what Jesus would do, and we serve him. God bless you.